Welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I sort of took to the airwaves for part four of our election miniseries. We crossed the country in a Zoom meeting to Waterville, Maine, where we talked to Professor Sandy Maisel, the Goldfarb Family Distinguished Professor of American Government at Colby College. Professor Maisel was also part of the effort to bring ranked choice voting to Maine. Now, Andrew and I have been really interested in ranked choice voting. Well, I was interested and then dragged Andrew into my interest as well. Um, But interested in ranked choice voting as a technology for the future of voting and elections. It's been used in some places, and Maine was one of those places. So we went right to the source and were joined by Professor Maisel, who was awesome. Now, I told you that we did this by a Zoom meeting. The recording quality is actually pretty good, so way to go Zoom. Uh, but there were a couple of times where uh, the the bandwidth was maybe not quite robust enough and the recording sort of paused. Uh, you'll There will be a few moments of silence during the recording. And I think that It was small enough that you won't miss anything. You'll be able to sort of infer whatever words were missed. But I do apologize for the hiccups in the quality of the sound recording. Uh, Still in all, it was a great conversation and I'm excited for you to hear it. Before we do that, as always, really want to thank you for being part of the Future Out Loud podcast community. as always, you know, we suggest that you can subscribe to the Future Out Loud podcast wherever you get podcasts and you can tell your friends about Future Out Loud and help us to grow the community of other people who are interested in the future. You can always find all of our previous episodes at our website, futureoutloud.org. So now, without further ado, on with Professor Sandy Maisel and Ranked Choice Voting. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Heather. Well, hello, Sandy. Nice to be with you. Yeah, thank you for being with us and uh, using the magic of uh, innovation that we can be having this conversation across the thousands of miles that separate Arizona State University and Colby College. It is quite amazing. Most amazing is that I figured it out. Well, the other thing you figured out, and one, the reason that we're chatting this morning, is um, to talk about ranked choice voting. You were a leader that brought ranked choice voting to the election process in Maine in 2018. Well, to say I was a leader is, is giving much too much credit. It was a people's initiative, and uh, the people in Maine understood a, a number of repeated votes that this is a uh, a better way to uh, get a democratic result in an election so that uh, we did in fact implement it both in primaries and in some statewide all primaries and in some statewide elections uh, in 2018 there is a a quirk in our constitution which which in which which uses the word plurality for elections for state offices so the election for governor and for state legislature 
was held regularly with a regular plurality winner at the same time as uh, the election for federal offices, Congress and the United, uh, United States House of Representatives and Senate were held using ranked choice voting. Okay. The primaries last June all were used during ranked choice voting because the constitutional provision doesn't apply to that. Okay, all right. So a few things to tease out here. One, just to make sure that we're completely clear when you said to ensure a democratic outcome um, or a democratic election, you're saying democratic small d. Democratic. <laughs> okay. That's actually a, uh, not a, an inconsequential point because in Maine, the decision over ranked choice voting was a very political, a partisan political decision. Um, there is no logical reason why it should be, nor is it, has it been in other locales. And clearly it's used in a number of nations around the world in which our parties don't have any role at all. Right. But uh, part it, 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 there's been an effort for, to implement ranked choice voting for a long time in Maine. Uh, and it was slowly building, and the biggest impetus for it was in 2010 when Governor LePage was elected with less than 40% of the vote in the general election. Yes. And that really stimulated interest in a people's uh, referendum to put ranked choice voting on the ballot. It didn't happen until after he was reelected in 14, um, again with a plurality, but a, high, a higher plurality. Okay. Um, then it was done a a referendum, a vote of the people, and I don't know how much you wonder about this process, but it was an incredible, incredible political process. The The vote was um, clear. It was 52, 53% of the vote for ranked choice voting. Okay. The legislature, which is controlled by the Republicans, decided they weren't going to implement it, um, and they were going to put it off for various reasons that they, they state, stated, most of which I would say this is a political statement is because anybody who has been elected under one set of rules doesn't want to hear to see another set of rules. But Maine has a provision, which frankly, I've lived here 48 years and I never knew about, um, called a people's veto, okay. which says if the legislature passes a law, the people by petition can veto, can, can decide to veto that law until the next election and the previous law would stay in place. So after the legislature passed a law, saying we weren't going to implement ranked choice voting even though it had passed by referendum. The same people who fought for ranked choice voting exercised the people's veto and that's why it um, uh, was in effect in 2018. And at that same time in 2018, we voted again, this time to veto the legislature's action and to keep ranked choice voting in place. Okay, It's all wow. very complicated, I understand, but it was an incredibly intense political um, but it, but it's, but it's, this, but it's wonderfully meta talking about the voting system to bring in a voting system. Yes, <laughs> it absolutely is. And, you know, I think one of the things that people, particularly in the United States, struggle with, um, and we can take a moment to bemoan the lack of basic civic understanding among Americans um, and the people who don't understand what a plurality means. Um, putting that aside, I think one of the biggest challenges with ranked choice voting is 
helping people understand what is ranked choice voting. So the best explanation I have seen is from, I believe Minnesota Public Radio has their little video that they put out and it's lovely. <laughs> it's terrific. But so, but you're at the forefront of this. So how do you explain ranked choice voting to people? To me, it's, it's a quite simple concept. Instead of voting for one person, you get to rank however many people are on the ballot in order of your preference. Um, so you take your first choice, you rank that person one, second choice two, third choice three, fourth choice four, however many there, there are. Um, and all the first place votes are counted. Mm -hmm. If anybody has a majority, that person is elected. If nobody has a majority, whoever has the least votes is eliminated, and that person's votes are redistributed to whoever their second choice was. Okay. Then you count again. And it goes on until somebody has a majority, which of course has to happen when it gets down to two people. Right. Uh, in Maine, um, for in the election for the United States Senate and the election for Congress in the first district, although there were more than two candidates, in each case, uh, one candidate, Senator King and Congresswoman Pingree, received a majority on the first vote. Okay. Therefore, it didn't have any impact. In the second congressional district, and we only have two, mm -hmm. uh, in the second congressional district, there were four candidates running, a the incumbent Republican, a Democratic challenger, and two independents. Um, and after the first ballot, the incumbent Republican was leading by about uh, 1%, oh. but with less than 50%. Okay. And after the other two candidates' votes were redistributed, because they were third and fourth, the challenger the democrat won by i think about two percent of the vote so enough switched to cause a change in the outcome and and the the reasoning is that you know the reason would be if those two had not been on the ballot congressman golden would have won and, and uh, ex-congressman pelican would have lost but they mm -hmm. weren't on the ballot they confused the result and we did what that's why it's called an instant runoff it's right like, what would you do if you got it down to two people or however many it takes to get a majority. Right. So, okay, so it happened where the uh, results of the first ballot didn't hold for the leader. Exactly. Um, it did not happen in any of the primary elections. It did not, okay. Um, even though in, in the Democratic primary, there were seven candidates. Um, and the Democratic primary really, to me, showed that the people understand this system. There were seven candidates. Uh, there were very, very few people who whose ballots were eliminated because of what's called an overvote, which is when somebody ranks two people with the same number and that disqualifies their ballot. Okay. Um, there were some undervotes, but an, an undervote is not necessarily uh, a flawed system. The, the main system does not say you have to rank every candidate on the ballot. Right. And I think that one thing in, in, in Australia, for example, you have to rank every candidate on the ballot. Oh, okay. And, and if you don't rate every every candidate in the ballot, your ballot is thrown out. They have a much higher rejection rate. We had a very, very low rejection rate. Um, not significantly different than we have in normal elections when people make mistakes in filling out their ballot. Sure. Um, so, but in, in the Democratic primary for governor, the, the first ballot was led by uh, then Attorney General, now uh, Governor Janet Mills, mm -hmm. and with something about thirties, thirty four percent of the vote or something like that. And she under the old system she would have been nominated and the next person was thirty one percent of the vote. Sure. Um, and 
people would say, oh, well, if it, if it had switched, somebody else might have won. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turned out, we went through the system, eliminated the seventh, the sixth, the fifth, the fourth, the third. And when it got down to two, uh, Governor Mills still won. Um, okay. And in fact, she had picked up votes going through the uh, right choice voting process. So that my read of that is her nomination had much more legitimacy than it would have had if she had won one at 34% to 31%. Okay, okay. And then um, going into then, so then there's just the Democratic nominee and the Republican nominee going through oh, the similar well, process. Oh, but independents as well. Four candidates, and one of the candidates won a majority on the first ballot, so they didn't have to count the right choice vote. Got it, okay. Then we went to the general election, and because of the constitutional provision, the general election for governor was done by plurality winner. As it turns out, Governor Mills won 51% of the vote, so it wouldn't have mattered if we did this right choice vote. Got it. Even with independence, because it's Maine, so we right. know there's going to be independence, right? There, there were two independents <laughs> on the ballot, but the, the two independents and the Republican, if you add all three of their votes together, they did not get up to 50% of the vote. Okay. So now, so you've had this for two elections, the primary and the general. Right. And what has been the response from the electorate? Well, very interesting. We did a... Um, exit poll on general election day it was uh co-sponsored by the it was it was run by the bangor daily news uh, but uh, we co-sponsored Kobe college co-sponsored it with a colleague of mine carrie levan and i worked on questionnaire design and an implementation and we're working now on uh looking at the results and they were they were fascinating um to me first of all the first result is, is simply you look at um, the, the problems that the opponents of ranked choice voting cited, one of which is that people would be confused and not know how to vote. Mm-hmm. No evidence of that. Higher turnout than usual. Oh. Very few spoiled ballots. Um, no dissatisfaction. We asked a question in the survey about dissatisfaction, or whether it was confusing. Um, and very few people under 30% said it was confusing, and there, but there was a very definite partisan difference. Okay. The partisan difference was Democrats didn't find it was confusing at all. Independents found it somewhat less, thing, less clear than Democrats and Republicans. It was confusing, but still 60% of the Republicans said it wasn't very confusing. Okay. Roughly 60%. We asked the question, if we ask the question, do you favor extending ranked choice voting uh, to all elections because it wasn't done for statewide elections. Uh-huh. It was a huge partisan divide and it was about a 50, it was majority favored it, but it was almost by the same percentages favored ranked choice voting in the um, in the, in the referendum, something okay. like 52 or 53 to 47. Okay. Uh, if you if you took the, you know, slightly favors and variable favors, put, if you collapse, collapse five categories into, into, uh, into two, two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out 5347, something like that. Um, but if instead of asking the question that way, we also ask the question, um, some systems of electing require that the winner have a majority of the vote to be selected. Mm-hmm. Others say that if you have a plurality, and we describe, we define plurality, because okay. Heather, you're exactly right, most people don't know what a plurality is. Mm-hmm. We, just, we define plurality as one more vote than the next candidate, at least one more vote than the next candidate. Right that person should be elected, which do you favor? A very substantial majority favored 
very substantial majority of our poll results favored having the winner requiring a majority not not being satisfied with the plurality oh okay okay so but again there's still a partisan difference but but the partisan difference pretty much disappeared if you ask the question and divorced it from ranked choice voting oh sure well divorce from ranked choice voting and i would imagine the rhetoric that drives right. so much right. of our partisan conversation has, has absolutely been fed on the negative side by governor, former Governor LePage, mm-hmm. now Congressman Poliquin, who filed a lawsuit, although eventually withdrew his lawsuit, but is going around the state when he's in the state talking about how terrible right choice voting is. Okay. Okay. And and what are the arguments against? So I mean, this is what fascinates me. I can understand a. Uh, somebody who has been elected to a position of power would try and sort of maintain the system that, that got them there. But but that's obviously a very dodgy basis for arguing against ranked choice voting. That's, I, that's what, called the foxes guarding. That, 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 that's, that's exactly right. it. But I mean, are, are there any legitimate arguments against it? There are legitimate arguments. Um, <laughs> we think that the arguments don't, there are certainly arguments that's legitimate to question. Okay. Um, one is whether they will confuse voters, and particularly does it confuse uneducated voters, less educated voters, and or elderly voters. Right. Um, we ran on that. The elderly voters were definitely more confused than the middle-aged voters who were more confused than the um, youngest voters, but the numbers were still, a, you know, a large majority of the elderly voters, over 60%, over 65%, I think, I don't have those numbers right in front of me. I think it's over 65% said they were not confused. Okay. Right. right. But certainly one can say this is different. People might be confused by it. My answer in that when we were campaigning for this was saying, do you really believe that the citizens of Maine are dumber than all the people in Ireland and all the people in Australia who have no problem doing this? Right, right. It was pretty difficult to respond to that. Uh, and, other, and you know, we listed the 20 cities in the country that use it, including Portland, Maine, by the way. Oh. Um, but, so that's, that's one argument. The second argument, which might be technically true in some cases, and in fact was technically true in the second congressional district in Maine this time, is that you don't have a true majority. You have a true majority of the people whose votes are counted, but in, and and this is exactly how this is supposed to work as far as I'm concerned. In the second congressional district of the, the, I think it was 8% 8 of the vote, 9% of the vote, voted for the two independent candidates, five for one and four percent of the other, about um, almost half, about between about 40 percent of those people did not cast a vote for either the Democrat or the Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them of the fourth choice cast, the, the next second choice was the third, the other independent candidate. Okay. Um, but they then fell off, so they, they undervoted. And Congressman Golden's total on the third round, the one in which he was elected, mm-hmm. was less than the majority of the total number of votes cast. Oh, that's interesting. But so and that's an argument that says, well, you don't really get a majority winner. Well, if you look at the votes for Congress in a general election, generally, mm-hmm. under a normal system, in a presidential election year, the number of votes for Congress always falls off from the vote for president and also from the vote for governor if there's a race for governor for United States Senator. So even a majority winner in a congressional election doesn't have a majority of all the votes cast. Right, right, right. It is of all the votes cast of the people who entered the voting booth who chose to cast a vote in that election and they had an option to do so. 
uh, if they have the option to do so and choose not to, that's their option. Um, it might be Arizona, but I think it's Nevada. There's one state in the country that gives somebody, it's Nevada, gives somebody the option of casting none of the above. That's what these people were voting for, none of the above, mm-hmm. but they were voting. Yeah, we don't have that option, but no, we, think, we can I certainly... It is, uh, it is Nevada, as I thought about it. Yeah, we can certainly not mark right. for right. an office. Well, this, right. was a, this was a, It's an affirmative vote saying I'm against everybody whose name's on the ballot. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. I, could, I can yeah. relate to why that might feel good some days yeah well, <laughs> yeah wow so okay so was um me, for the most part well there's we're one other it. argument against it oh okay um, which uh doesn't apply in maine uh but people have argued against it in other places i think it's also a, a false argument but i think it should be you know, not it should be stated which is that um ranked choice voting might hurt minority candidates um in the same way that instant runoffs um, were thought to hurt minority candidates, which is to say a minority candidate in a uh, multiracial field in a multiracial district in which minority is not a majority. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first ballot, majority candidate, a minority candidate gets 35% of the vote or 40% of the vote, mm-hmm. um, but then in subsequent ballots, people turn around and vote for the white candidate. Um, that doesn't happen to Maine because, frankly, there aren't enough but, minority candidates ever on the ballot and not enough minority voters. Uh, but it, it only is the case if you believe in total racial voting, and, and there's just no evidence of that. A lot of people, uh, when, when uh, Reverend Jackson was running for president, tried to make that argument in the South, and it didn't work in the South when mm-hmm. they ran the numbers of the effects of, of runoff elections. So. But, but is there actually an, an argument to the contrary that, that may say that, that with the ranking, people will put the, the candidate they think they should vote for at the top, but then second or third, they will put the, the minorities. Absolutely. So, uh, you, you didn't ask for the argument. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I was doing my best job as, a, as an objective analyst to give you the arguments against. There are many arguments in favor, and the best argument in favor is you get to vote for who you want. Yes. Yeah. Um, you, you do it without the fear of the wasted ballot. I don't think either of you are old enough to remember when John Anderson ran for president in 1980. I'll have you well, know, we, I had a John Anderson sticker on my tricycle. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I voted for sure. And, and um, it was, you know, he was running in, in the 1980 presidential election against um, President Reagan and President Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were many of us who were very disappointed with. Jimmy Carter as president, alternative, and would have liked to cast a symbolic vote for John Anderson, who was a, uh, I think you'd say at that time, uh, somebody else can characterize it differently if they want to, but I would social liberal and an economic conservative, mm-hmm. um, member of Congress from uh, Illinois. And he ran, literally ran for president, he tried to get the Republican nomination, didn't do very well. Um, and then ran as an independent, I think it was called the Citizens Party. Um, and many of us would say we'd like to vote for John Anderson, but you know it's a wasted vote. And if it's an election is going to be close between the Republican and the Democrat, you want to vote for the Republican or Democrat who you think would be better than the other one. So I ended up as a Democrat voting for Jimmy Carter, um, even though I was not very happy voting for Jimmy Carter. Well, under ranked choice voting, you never have to do that. Right. You vote for whoever you prefer. And um, after those votes, First votes are counted unless somebody else, somebody has a majority. Mm-hmm. If your person is last, 
your vote gets to your second choice and you get to show what that second choice is. So that would have, well, and one can see where over several iterations of this process, this might uh, embolden or uh, elevate the voice of third party candidates yes, right, and movements. Right. It actually, to, to my mind, mm -hmm. it makes the whole process a lot more democratic because you can have more people legitimately being part of the process. Well, and yes, and feeling like they can be part of the process without uh, being a candidate of the Democratic Party or the Republican right. Party. Because, uh, I mean, I don't know about in Maine, but in Arizona, it is so much harder to get on the ballot if you're not running with one of the major parties. Mm -hmm. Well, again, it's, it's a case, as I said before, half kidding you, but it's really not kidding. It's, it is the foxes guarding the chicken coop, but it's the Democrats and the Republicans who set the... Uh, the rule for how hard it is to get on the ballot. Um, and in Maine, you have to get 3% of the vote cast in the last uh, gubernatorial election in, if you're running in a state, in a you know, state house district in that district. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to be people uh, who are not either Democrats or Republicans. Right. That's a very high standard to meet. It is exactly, yes, but, yes. And, and you have to have some organization to be doing. Now, so the, both political parties as organizations, uh, well, the Republicans were firmly against ranked choice voting. The Democrats were very lukewarm to it until the Citizens Initiative passed, and then the Democrats made the argument, if this is what the citizens want, then we're for it. The Republicans continued to oppose it. Um, but the Democrats, as I said earlier, I'm a Democrat, and I have been involved in Democratic Party politics at different times, and my friends in the party came to me when I signed on to ranked choice voting. Mm -hmm. said, how are you doing this? This is only going to embolden third parties. And I said, no, it's going to embolden people to participate in politics, which I'm in favor of. Yeah. And if we deserve a majority to win, we, we have to get out there and, and, and argue for it. Um, and, and particularly argue for second and third candidates. And what ranked choice voting does, and we have pretty good evidence from looking at, uh, we've done content analysis of all of the ads that were run in this election cycle. Mm -hmm. Ranked choice voting tends to um, lessen the volume, the negative volume of campaigning. And it oh. does so because you don't want to alienate anybody's opposition, anybody's, any of your opposition's proponents, because you want to get their second and third choice. Mm -hmm. um, candidates are still struggling to figure out how to do this in the, the Democratic gubernatorial primary, mm -hmm. which was the best case study for well, I'll give you two case studies. It was, I think, the best case study. Um, it's very difficult for polling in a state like Maine, for any, and, and primaries particularly for anybody to know how to poll. Um, but as it, as it came down to the primary, it looked like it was a two-person race between um, Governor Mills, then Attorney General Mills, and a, a relatively young attorney named Adam Cody, C-O-T-E, from uh, the southern part of the state. He was a veteran. He was... Um, he was very progressive on some issues and more modern on other issues. He, he could come out and talk about gun control while, you know, he could do the field dressing of a rifle because he'd been in Iraq and, and Afghanistan and actually in Bosnia as well. Wow. Um, and then there were these other candidates. And the third and fourth candidates, about a month before the election, um, got together and said, I think we should campaign together mm -hmm. and say, you don't have to, I hope you vote for me, but if you don't vote for me, vote for... Betsy. And if you yeah. don't vote for Betsy, vote for Mark. And 
give the other one your second ballot. Mm -hmm. um, and they tried to convince Cody to get in part of that group. He made a decision not to. I think it turns out probably was a bad decision not to. Mm -hmm. But the logical decision, nobody knew how people were going to respond. Right. But what we did find is that until the last week of the campaign, there were virtually no negative ads. Interesting. The last week of the campaign, um, not Governor Mills, but people arguing for maybe the last two weeks, started running anti-Cody ads. Sure. And Cody ran uh, what some call a comparative ad, some call a negative ad against her. Um, so, you know, if if one of the one of the problems with American governance right now, in my view, is this incredible negativity and the citizen cynicism it builds up among the citizens. Yeah. Well, to the extent that that's true. This should mitigate against it. Mm -hmm. um, it should get people to be more positive in their campaigning, talk about why you should vote for them, not a vote against somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you vote against somebody, you're arguing to vote against somebody else, you um, lose the opportunity to get their supporters as second choice if they don't make it. So, yeah. so I know. Let me, let me just give you the second case study because sure. it's an yeah. interesting sure. contrast. In the second congressional district, it was very clear that. Um, on a political spectrum, Congressman Pollockman was the furthest towards the conservative side. Uh, Jared Golden, the Democratic um, uh, candidate, was next toward the conservative side, somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And the two independents were both quite far to the left. Okay. Um, and that meant that um, Pollockman could run neg negative ads against Golden mm -hmm. because he knew he wasn't going to get those other people's support anyway. Sure. Um, and Golden really was quite uh, tame in running his negative ads, although the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee did run negative ads against Poliquin. But again, none of Poliquin's supporters were going to ever vote for Golden. Okay. So they didn't care where they went. So they were just trying to really attract those independent uh, exactly. second and third ballots. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, so I know it's it's... Um, comparing apples and oranges, but do we have any evidence from um, how things work out in Australia in terms of exactly the same thing, the degree of, of negative um, ads going out? Because um, we've, um, had, we've had many I, years of experience there. I haven't seen any uh, systematic analysis of doing content analysis of ads. You know, because of the project at Wesleyan University, we can get every ad that was run. I don't know that such a thing exists in Australia. Right. Okay. Um, so we, we got every ad that was run during the campaign, put it through a, um, a content analysis used with independent um, raters of the ads and mm -hmm. rated it either, um, I can't remember exactly the categories we used, but one was personal attack, one was contrast on issues, and one was positive for the candidates. I think there, were, there was one other rating system in there. And what was clear, except for the second congressional district, and in the very last week of the Democratic primary, the clearly negative ads were way, way down. From we compared it to what uh, to the same ads that were run in the 2010 cycle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> thinking about, um, I mean, these are all strong arguments um, for you know civic participation and for discourse and civility and and I think that's very compelling. Um, just this morning in the Arizona Republic, our paper, biggest paper, newspaper here in Arizona, there was an op-ed written by a Democratic activist who pointed out that in our recent Phoenix mayoral election, uh, in the initial ballot, which was in November, there were four candidates, 
and one candidate, but it requires a majority. One candidate received 45% of the vote, and so it went to a runoff because there was no candidate with a majority. And the argument was that, you know, set aside all of the money from political fundraising and IEs and things like this um, that went into this runoff election, which we had just a few weeks ago. But the city of Phoenix had to spend another million dollars administering this election. So do you have any analysis of a cost savings from ranked choice voting? Well, yes. Um, the problem, ranked choice voting is often compared to runoff, mm-hmm. you know, to regular runoff elections, which are held in the United States now, um, and many municipalities. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's very clear that the first time you do ranked choice voting, it's more expensive because you have to buy new software Mm-hmm. Some in the different, even different voting machines. Okay. Um, and then uh, you have to run a, a fairly serious Secretary of State and serious educational uh, and went around the state and showed them everywhere you could show them, okay. show people how to do it. So the first time around it is more expensive. After okay. that, um, we know two, they cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. This, the turnout runoffs is always considerably lower than the turnoff in the gen- turnout in the general elections. Well, uh, recent um, uh, particular primary campaigns in the South, the, around 30, 35%. So they are, in fact, less democratic than an, than an instant runoff is. Okay. So they're more expensive and less democratic, and they should get you, um, you know, the, the results should be roughly the same. It also doesn't allow, I, I guess this is true, I haven't thought about it very much. If you have a three-way, if you have a you know, multi-candidate race and three candidates are quite close, mm-hmm. in, a runoff, in, an inst, in an instant runoff, the fourth, fifth, sixth candidate supporters, all of those people can decide they want to vote for the third person. Right. Move him or her up above the second. Under, under a traditional runoff, that person's automatically out. That happened in, in um, the top two system in California that was used this last time in a, in a number of races where you know, the top two were very close and the third was very close as well, but the third was eliminated. Yes, yes. Um, and there's a, a different, actually a similar set of, uh, of arguments for that um, uh, jungle primary system that yeah. they use in California. It's a, but that's a conversation for a different day, I yeah, think. That's a <laughs> What, that, what the top two systems shows in California is um, you, you really need an experience with a system to see if it's going to have the effects that either the proponents or the opponents uh, project. And in fact, the top two system has not had those effects. Ranked choice voting has had precisely the effects that where it's done that the proponents have said it's going to have. Not, you know, not to the extent it is not, it will not cure everything that's wrong with, with uh, democratic politics. Small D Democratic. Politics. Yes, just thank you for clarifying. Doesn't clarifying. <laughs> necessarily get candidates voting, talking about issues, but it moves everything in the right direction. None of the of the um, opponents, sort of scary, and if they had been right, very scary um, um, worries about right choice voting ever came to play. Right. Okay. So. Very strong arguments for ranked choice voting. Is it, uh, and it's been voted and re-voted 
to be the law of the land in Maine. Still not the case for um, statewide elections in the general election, although okay. there is a proposal in the legislature that is meeting right now. This, this session is still in, in uh, they're still in session mm -hmm. to amend the Constitution. Um, I think that will not go through because Republicans are opposing it. You need a supermajority. Okay. I think it will go to a, a, a referendum on whether to amend the state constitution okay. to include those officers. There's also a proposal in the um, state legislature right now, which in fact has a good chance of passing, to Maine as a caucus state in, in, in the nominating process for president. There is a proposal there to move to a primary and to run the primaries in ranked choice voting. Interesting. Um, and until, depending on the two parties' rules, the Democratic Party, until somebody gets 15, um, to the to the last, the lowest candidate has 15%, which is the threshold you need uh, for, for delegates in the Democratic Party. And the Republican Party would be until candidate, um, I think, well, I don't want to speak. I'm not quite sure what the Republican rules are. That, Republican rules may use to allow winner to take all, mm -hmm. in which case it would be until a majority. And there's a proposal in the main legislature to run our presidential election, general election, using ranked choice vote. Oh. Um, which, yeah, would clearly encourage third party candidates. Um, I think probably under ranked choice voting, uh, if we'd had that when Ross Perot was running, he would have mm -hmm. won at least the second congressional district in Maine, if not the entire state. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. All right, so it's uh, here to stay in some, uh, you know, in some way or another, and probably to grow in the future in Maine. What are you hearing from other states around the uh, the United States? Well, there were a lot of Secretary of State observers watching what happened in Maine. There's a lot of interest in a number of states. It has been. Uh, on the ballot, I can't remember the number of states. There's a, an organization in Washington called FairVote, fairvote.org, mm -hmm. F-A-I-R, capital V-O-T, uh, .org, run by a man named Rob Ritchie that is very carefully monitoring each state and, and the efforts in those states. And, and they're very pleased. They think the main result was really a tremendous stimulus to uh, the movement for ranked choice voting. Um, and in other states, it does not have the partisan implications that it had in May. Sure. I mean, it, it, there is nothing inherently partisan about ranked choice voting. It, it, what What is important is whether there's, um, what is important to see the partisan effect of whether there is a, a close partisan um, division and whether there are third parties that are more to the left or more to the right. And that varies from state to state. Of course, of course. Well, to, we uh, recently spoke with the uh, Secretary of State here in Arizona uh, to the you know little bit of the conversation that we had about ranked choice voting. I don't think that's in the immediate cards for Arizona. Um, Sadly, I would say. No, uh, Arizona's legislature is working pretty hard to disenfranchise voters rather than enfranchise voters. So we got some other fish to fry in the <laughs> short term. Am I not right that Arizona was one of the early adopters, I don't know if you still are, of uh, public financing of, of state campaigns? Yes, we most certainly <laughs> do. Absolutely. 
there's a chance for anything, you know? There is a chance for anything. And the thing about Arizona that uh, newcomers to Arizona, I always have to remind people, you know, Arizona really holds on to this identity of being the Wild West and being full of independent thinkers. And, um, you know, we are the land of uh, the maverick John McCain. So the adopted land. You're the land of John McCain, but you're also, I think Barry Goldwater would have been in favor of this, and I think Mo Udall would have been in favor of it. I think you're exactly right. Exactly right. So we'll we'll see what holds in the future. But Sandy, thank you so much for joining us today. Just what a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's great fun to talk to you. Thank you. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.